Welcome back to season 11, episode 31 of the Digital Orthopedics Podcast, where we bring you the extraordinary lectures from the DocSF Experience 2023. My name is Dr. Stefan Obini, and I will be your host for the podcast. In our next episode, we'll hear from Dr. Justin Barad, talk about his experience in virtual reality and his take on where it's going next. Please join me as we welcome Dr. Barad to the Talk SF stage. All right, well, let's enjoy this presentation before the robots take over the world. And I got great news for you. We do have some AI in the presentation, so we're keeping the theme consistent. I know many of you, but for those that don't know me, my name's Justin. Hi. Like Stefano said, my background is in video game development. I got interested in healthcare as a family member got sick, and I was like, hey, maybe there's a way to use software and technology, not for entertainment, but to help people. So I studied bioengineering in college, and I wanted to invent new healthcare technology, but I didn't know how to get started. And a mentor told me, if you want to invent something, you really need to understand the problem you're trying to solve first. And he thought that one of the best ways to understand medical problems was to be a doctor. So he helped me get into medical school and then at UCLA, pursued orthopedic surgery. That's where I really where I experienced firsthand one of the biggest problems in healthcare today, which is how we train and assess our surgeons and proceduralists. And I was able to combine my two life passions of video games and healthcare and start also in October 2016. So what we'll be talking about today is an overview of the problem we're trying to solve, a little bit about the technology, showing you some cool stuff we're working on. We'll go over our latest clinical research, and then we'll talk a little bit how we think VR should be implemented both in residency, beyond, and in the ambulatory surgical center setting. So I think one of the first problems is that there's simply too much to learn. So if you think about it, we're almost victims of our own success. Accelerating science and technology, and certainly with generative AI, I can't imagine this is going to make this any better. The number of procedures we're needing to know how to do, sometimes on demand, is spreading exponentially. So it's like we've gone from French laundry to cheesecake factory. You just can't do everything well. I always tell a fun story. I don't know about for the other surgeons out there, if you've had a similar experience, maybe you tell me if this is normal, but we were just eating lunch, minding our own business when we were called by the LA Zoo to operate on a gorilla with about two hours of heads up. And we're like, you know, we're human doctors, right? And they're like, yes, but you have to come. So we Googled if gorillas have bones. They do. It's very similar to ours. And Jabari did great. But it feels like more and more we're dealing with gorilla-like situations every day. Maybe a procedure we've never done before or only do very rarely. Number two is modern surgery is actually quite complicated. So robotics, minimally invasive surgery, a lot of things we're talking about here actually tend to have longer learning curves, often 50 to 100 cases. Finally, we really lack a way to assess technical skill in surgery. I don't know about you guys, but my own career, the one time I was really formally evaluated, I was asked to play the board game Operation and remove a few plastic pieces without buzzing, which I did, and I'm still proud of that, but we can do better. So I got involved in VR very early and immediately saw its utility to solve this problem. You use it anytime, anywhere. You train in a hands-on way with cutaneous haptic feedback. You can train as a team or train remotely and you can get objective assessment for one of the first times. So I wanna show you some of the technology in action. So this is our technology at Academy a couple years ago, but it gives you an idea of sort of how easy it is to use. So we're using off-the-shelf VR hardware. So right now this is mainly MetaQuest 2, MetaQuest Pro. The MetaQuest 2 right now goes for about $350. It does not require a computer or a laptop. It's just a headset and two controllers. And in fact, you can also just put the controllers down and just use your hands. You do lose the cutaneous haptics, but it works really well. You can see that you can train with multiple people from anywhere in the world. I was actually just in Brazil training with someone from Philadelphia. So we had one of our team members come in to train a bunch of Brazilian surgeons. And you can see here the level of engagement and excitement. And I always say what we do in surgery is serious work, but it's also a lot of fun. So learning, training to do it should be fun too. 
Something that we really focus on at Oso is, one is visual fidelity, which I'll show you more of a bit, but also real-time imaging simulation. So obviously this is not orthopedics, but I just want to show you an example. So on the right side, you're seeing a real-life TAVR or transcatheter aortic valve replacement procedure. On the left side, you're seeing that same imaging simulation in a $350 standalone VR headset. So as you can see, it's very difficult to tell the difference between the two, but in one of these images, you're not being exposed to radiation and you can practice anytime and anywhere, which is really nice and don't have to wear lead. So I talked a little bit about visual fidelity. This is one of the calling cards of Oso VR. We want our imaging to be clinically accurate. It's also very hard to get high fidelity visuals to run on these low powered VR headsets, which use mobile phone processors. So we put together an art studio with people from Disney, Lucasfilm, Industrial Light Magic, to create an experience that is both inspiring, but also clinically accurate. So speaking of generative AI, this is a partially AI generated image. We showed this to some potential partners and they're like, why are you showing us a photo of a lady? And we're like, oh, actually this is a VR model. So you can see that technology is becoming quite sophisticated and AI is really accelerating our ability to create this clinically accurate and jaw-dropping imagery. Well, I definitely want you guys to see this one. We talk a lot about training and fidelity simulation. I think there are two things that we don't talk about enough when it comes to VR and immersive simulation. One is assessment. It's not just about the training, it's about measuring your proficiency. And the other one is the ability to train together, what we call collaborative training. This is a game changer. So people are like, well, why don't you do this on a phone or a laptop? The difference is that you can do this with other people anywhere in the world. So in this example, one of our employees is in Portland, Oregon, and the other one is in Memphis, Tennessee. But here they are in the same operating room, running around, picking up instruments, and just running through a procedure a lot like you do in real life. You can really do this from any time, anywhere. Often I'll be called to jump into an emergency training session. I'll pull over on the side of the road, connect to my mobile hotspot, and jump into one of these sessions. So really enables you to do much more in terms of a team training and remote coaching perspective. So typically when I'm going through this with people, people are like, this looks amazing, this is incredible, but does it work? Which is really interesting because I often ask, well, how do you know what we're doing now works? Because we don't really have a lot of data on how education works today. That being said, we have about seven peer-reviewed studies that we'll go through real quick. And so this is a study done at UCLA where you're seeing two trainees. On the right side, you see an individual who is trained with Oso VR to his set level of proficiency, which we can measure. It's my old program director. I never got that handshake. I'm not bitter. And if you look on the left side, that's a little piece of paper. That's a cheat sheet you can check if you don't remember what to do next. This guy came into the room when he felt ready to do the procedure. He's like, I'm confident I'm ready to go. He checks this piece of paper 26 times while the individual on the right checks it zero times. And the take home point that I'd like you to all to leave with is that how we feel and what reality is can be startlingly different. And the vast majority of our world of surgery right now is on the left side. It's I feel ready to do this surgery, or I feel that this person, my colleague, is ready to go. But there's really no objective, repeatable checkpoint. So in this study published in the journal Surgical Education, when we measured the performance using a scale called OSATS, which is one to five in a variety of categories, the VR train NSFs group performed 10 points better than the non-VR group. This is a study published in CORE. This looked at the ability to complete a procedure without needing supervision. So in a traditionally trained group, about 25% of that cohort could complete a procedure without someone needing to step in and intervene. When using Oso VR, that went up to 78%. And I think what's really interesting in this study is that they used adult learning, which means spaced repetition, for their VR training. And when I read the study, I was like, oh my God, like I've never even heard of this concept. 
We all uh, were trained on see one, do one, teach one. And this idea of being able to train repeatedly over a period of time before you actually go into the operating room is a relatively new concept for us and something that now this technology enables and makes a bit easier. This is a study in arthroplasty. This is fixed bearing unicondylar joint replacement. Very similar. This is done at Community Hospital in Ventura. Performance score went up by six points. Procedure time went down by 10 minutes. Redirections went from nine to three or down by 60%. And the training time was also lower. This is a concept called the transfer efficiency ratio. This is an idea that, hey, if I train in VR, I get more skill per minute or per second than if I were reading a book or watching a video, which is very exciting because we like high yield, right? This is comparing VR to a video. Long story short, VR was better and more accurate and also faster. This is a very interesting study done by AO Trauma. This was done in Brazil and Latin America and 120 traumatologists. This is actually an integrated VR, so it's partial sawbones, partial VR, same day. And 93% of the attendees wanted to train that way going forward. We often get questions, well, what about haptic feedback? What about force feedback? I give entire talks on this. I'll just say, yes, we do have haptic feedback in the form of cutaneous haptics, which is available in these controllers. Most people are referring to something called kinesthetic force feedback. So the idea is like, if I'm pushing on a wall in a virtual simulation, if something is physically stopping your hand, that's kinesthetic haptic feedback. Whereas rumble, what we all have in our phones, that's cutaneous haptics. There's actually a lot of research in the robotic literature that shows that cutaneous haptics, for whatever reason, seems to work much better. But we wanted to understand that too. So we did a study with Johns Hopkins, where they took a fully physical model. So this was a sawbone soft tissue envelope, real surgical instruments, real fluoro for a skiffy pinning, comparing it to training in OSO, what they found was that there was no significant difference between the two modalities, which is very interesting. That being said, we don't recommend this for fully replacing hands-on training, just repositioning hands-on training in the learning journey, which I'll show you shortly. And there's also a lot of cool things happening in the haptic world going forward. Some people are like, well, what's happening in the headset? Is it a video game? Are you just sort of like hitting buttons? So this is a study done in a pitching lab at Wake Forest. On the left side, you're seeing a sawbone simulation with motion trackers on a resident. And on the right side, you're seeing the same procedure, but in OSO VR. What we then looked at was 64 different motion variables, and 63 of those variables were statistically identical between the two groups, which is simply wild to me, and it's only getting better. So... The last thing I'll talk about is the critical nature of portability. So you can have the best simulator in the world. It's 100% realistic. You fully replace the real thing. But if nobody uses it, literally provides zero value, right? So this is a study that was performed at CU and Penn. And this looked at the usage of simulation labs in cardiac residents. So 30 of these residents had access to simulation. And in a single year, one out of 30 residents reported that they used the simulation lab, which is wild. So it really is critical to me, I think, and based on the data that you have a simulator that you can bring with you. You're sitting at home, you're in between cases, you just jump in and train. And this is how we should be doing it going forward. A lot like we carried Hoppenfeld around with us. These headsets are lighter and cheaper than our textbooks, which is pretty wild. We talked a little bit about objective assessment, just showing you what that looks like here. So in this run through, you can see your time versus a recommended goal time, which is the dotted yellow line. You can see steps that you forgot and also steps that you didn't perform to clinical satisfaction, as well as a proficiency rating, which is milestone based. So we all start from the same place and you can only get better. You don't want to be taking experienced surgeons and telling them they're a C minus surgeon. It doesn't go well. Take my word for it. So in terms of the traditional education journey, you're often 
maybe seeing a technique at a conference, reading about a book, maybe you do a cadaver lab and then you're going straight to a patient, which you're very early on the learning curve. Maybe that case doesn't go very well. If it's a new product, you're likely not to adopt. Or if it's a technique, you're just going to grind through patients until you reach proficiency, which we've seen that as well. So this is the idea behind a VR-enabled digital education journey. The idea is that you start off with VR self-study. So if you're in an ambulatory surgical center, you're integrating robotics, you're doing a procedure you haven't done in a while, you have a new team of travelers or a new PA, new NP, you can run someone through a curriculum before they come in the operating room. This could be same day, could be a couple of days, could be a couple of weeks. And you just have three days where you do specific VR sessions with graduating levels of performance. Then ideally you want to bring in some sort of remote coaching or team training session. This idea is that you want to train with the team or you want to bring in an expert. This not only helps you sort of get those final clinical tips, tricks, and pearls, but is also a great motivator, right? You want to look good in front of your teachers. So what we find is like when you bring in an instructor, an authority figure, people are going to train a lot to look good in VR in front of them. It's an interesting phenomenon, but we see it all the time. And then in some cases, we can replace hands-on training, but most often you're moving into a hands-on training portion. This could be sawbones, this could be just messing around with the instruments, seeing how they feel, or a cadaver lab. And what you've done is you've really turned this introductory sort of chaotic cadaver lab experience into a masterclass. This is a final exam. This is a dress rehearsal. You know exactly what to do. Now you're just putting it to the test and just understanding what bits and pieces you can't get from simulation. Now, if there's a gap between your training and inpatient care, you have an incredible refresh tool. And if your entire team gets replaced, because that's just the world we live in now, you can get everyone up to speed in VR before the case. So you're not running around the case trying to teach everybody while doing surgery at the same time which we all know is very chaotic. And then now you've optimized yourself for the very best, smoothest case possible, all without really needing any physical instruments or anything like that. It's a pretty crazy world we live in now, and it's pretty exciting. So thank you so much for everybody here. You guys are all putting in the effort and time to understand technology and integrate it. I think in the years that we've been doing this, what I found is that you can have a technology that obviously works and that's supported by the data. Once again, if people don't use it and they don't integrate it, it doesn't do anything. And it's the change management. It's the integration and the comfort with this technology that is a much bigger challenge than the development of the technology itself. So it's people like you who are taking the time to understand it and to figure out how we can successfully integrate this technology that we know works that is going to move the ball for all of us and lead to a healthier, better world. So thank you all. Thank you, Justin. Masterclass of virtual reality. Uh, before you take off, uh, leave us for a second. What's next? 10 years from now, where are we in VR? Well, I mean, obviously generative AI is the talk of the town. So for us, this could change how we create the VR experiences in the soft skill space in VR, where we do much more what I like to call hardcore procedural training, but it's called hard skills. Having avatars that you can more easily converse with if you're in like a code scenario or something like that is something a lot of people are looking at. On the image generation side, you know, VR content is still relatively challenging to develop, requires a lot of expertise. And as we have found and I showed you today, that is getting a lot faster and higher quality thanks to generative AI. And that is likely to improve over time as well. The latest sort of hype and word on the street is Apple is rumored to be releasing a VR AR headset. We don't really know yet, but that is only going to really, we believe, help and sort of renew interest in immersive technology. So that's something that we're all very excited about. And I think from my perspective and something I was talking about a little bit, the input I think is very exciting of like how we use our hands in VR and the ability to use your hands is 
very advanced now and with recent software updates. So you can put the controllers down and just use your hands and advancement in haptics as well. With the new Quest Pro controllers, if you haven't tried it, is actually quite remarkable in terms of the variety of things that you could simulate and the realism of the experience. Thank you very much. Justin Barad. Thank Outstanding. you. Thank you for listening to the Digital Orthopedics Podcast. If you find the talks as incredibly informative and topical as we do, please share them and share this podcast with your friends and leave us a nice review on your podcast player of choice. It would mean a lot to us if you did.